for Pacifica Radio, March 13th, 2022. I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all. Welcome back to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm editorial director of Antiwar.com and author of Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. You can find my full interview archive, more than 5,600 of them now, going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org and you can and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. And you can follow me on Twitter at scotthortonshow. All right, introducing the founder of The Gray Zone at thegrayzone.com. It's Max Blumenthal. He also, of course, is the author of Goliath about Israel and um, the 51-day war about uh, the 2014 uh, war by Israel against the people of the Gaza Strip. I think it's probably the fairest way to characterize that. Um, And he also, with Dan Cohen, produced uh, what I think is probably the most important documentary about Israel and Palestine that I've ever seen. And there are a few on different subjects, but... It, it really is a masterpiece. I really hope you guys will look at it. It's called Killing Gaza about the 2014 war. It is just something else. But anyway, he does a hell of a lot of other journalism on a lot of other very important issues as well. And always controversial, too. This one is at thegrayzone.com. It's called How Ukraine's Jewish President Zelensky Made Peace with Neo-Nazi Paramilitaries on the Front Lines of War with Russia and co-authored with Alexander Rubenstein or Steen. I'm not sure. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Max, how are you doing, sir? Good. Good to be back. I'll ask you the same thing here that I asked you, uh, you and Dan Cohen about your documentary about Gaza, which is what are a couple of nice Jewish boys like you writing about such a controversial issue and outside of the uh, typical consensus, whether in Israel or the United States here? Well, we are American Jews who are, you know, behind this torrent of what would be denounced uh, on Palestine by our official inquisitors of the national consensus as anti-Semitic because we took a position that was highly critical of the state of Israel, Dan Cohen and I, and demonstrated how it was you know, what, what What it looked like from the inside, from the inside of the cage in the Gaza Strip to live under apartheid. And here we're taking a position that should be less controversial, me and my Jewish collaborator, Alex Rubenstein, which is that the United States should not be arming and supporting actual avowed neo-Nazis who have been incorporated into a military which has been armed to the teeth by the United States. And that, however, is a position that is at this point in time, more controversial than criticizing the state of Israel. And you see, uh, you know, in, in Washington, proudly Jewish journalists whitewashing this issue as they take the popular position of simply standing with Ukraine and demanding that more arms be shipped there. So we've been watching this since 2014. I personally have been against the war in Ukraine since 2014, and I've been writing about this issue of open neo-Nazi influence over the Ukrainian military, society, and government, uh, often against the wishes of many Ukrainians, 
uh, since 2014, and I've been co- I've, I've come under heavy attack for it. I remember the first time I wrote about this in Alternet, a New York Times editorial appeared calling me uh, one of Putin's puppets, mm. simply for mentioning that this neo-Nazi battalion known as the Azov Battalion had been incorporated into the Ukrainian National Guard. Yeah, well, I know for a fact that that's true, that you've been writing about this since then. I know for a fact that you've been writing about this since before the coup in February 2014, because you and I were retweeting each other the night that they sacked the government buildings on the 22nd of February. And you said, hey, look, they're putting up Confederate flags and Nazi iron crosses and swastikas in the city council building. I think it was uh, right there in downtown Kiev that night. And you already knew what was going on there at that time, as I remember, as we already did. This had been going on for months, that protest in the Maidan out there being led by these incredibly, you know, and apparently you take one look at them, these extremely dangerous skinhead Nazis, right sector, Svoboda. And then, you know, I guess later we learned the names of all the rest, C-14 and Azov and all the rest of these but that was all apparent yep. in the streets, and I can vouch for you. I know that you wrote about it then because I read you. Yeah, C-14, uh, which is a the youth wing of the Svoboda Party, which was uh, rallying on the Maidan with John McCain and Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, the Democrat, as uh, now Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Newland was handing out cookies. Their youth wing sacked Kiev City Hall, as you said, adorned it with Nazi symbols, literal Third Reich flags. And then when the Berkut, the national police, the riot police, came in and stormed City Hall to remove them, they took shelter, guess where? In the Canadian embassy, with the full support of the Canadian embassy. Mm -hmm. This is a neo-Nazi group, C-14, that is named after the famous 14 words of the neo-Nazi organizer in the U.S., David Lane, about securing the future of the white race for our white children. Uh, the Canadian embassy that gave them shelter. This is the same Canadian government that branded its own citizens Nazis uh, for protesting mandates. I think like one Confederate flag was seen there, but this has been happening in in the open. Four years after this incident, the C-14 neo-Nazi militia was hired essentially by the Kiev city council under the new pro-U.S. Maidan regime to carry out pogroms against families of Roma people who were sleeping under bridges and uh, and in and around a train station in Kiev. They carried out this pogrom on camera, pepper spraying and brutalizing with clubs, completely defenseless Roma people in official partnership with the Kiev City Council. And this is documented in my piece with Alex Rubenstein. We've documented it in the past. Uh, Sergei Bondar, one of the leaders of that pogrom, went on just weeks later to speak at the America House in Kiev, which is a meeting center maintained by an NGO funded by the U.S. government. It was connected to the U.S. embassy. Uh, And at the time, the U.S. was openly training and arming the Azov Battalion, which is an openly neo-Nazi paramilitary incorporated into the Ukrainian National Guard, whose founder, Andrei Beletsky, has said, in writing in 2010 that his mission is to destroy destroy the semitic intervention those were the exact words he used this is a group that is photographed with u.s military trainers with not 
Nazi wolf's angle symbols on their arms with uniformed military commanders on their own website. I mean, none of this is hidden. They appear in the field with U.S. uh, light anti-tank weapons. This has been going on for years. And Congress has even openly debated this issue. It was also in 2018 that the office of Representative John Conyers, the late Democrat from Michigan, attempted to put a provision in the NDAA to prevent the funding or arming of the Azov Battalion by the Pentagon. But as we can see right now, um, they're in the field again with U.S. weapons. All right. Now, hold on just one second. I'm talking with Max Blumenthal, but we got to stop and raise some money for KPFK. All right, you guys, and it is fun drive time here again at KPFK. Now, every Sunday morning, we bring you anti-war radio instead of the war party's point of view, available to you on every other channel, brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Well, we don't rely on the military-industrial complex to finance our broadcasts. We rely on you. And warmongering fads may come and go, but not on this show. Not on your life. But you already know it. So help support this station the biggest FM transmitter west of the Mississippi, hitting all of Southern California with the hard truth every Sunday here on KPFK. Go to kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. And anyone who pledges $75 or more will get a copy of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. That's kpfk.org or 818-985-5735 to support today. And thank you. All right, now back to business here. We're talking with Max Blumenthal from the Gray Zone Project about this controversial piece, how Ukraine's Jewish president, Zelensky, made peace with neo-Nazi paramilitary. So we're going to get to the Zelensky angle here in a second. And I know this is stupid. I'll beg your forbearance. But we are in a time of some pale, farcical imitation of the Red Scare here, and you brought this up before, it's worth addressing. If the right wing of the Ukrainian nationalists fighting against the Russians in Ukraine right now are a bunch of Hitler-loving Nazis, as you describe them, does that make the Russians a bunch of heroes, Max? Yeah, I mean, I'm not here to endorse anything Russia's doing. It's simply about providing context because Russia doesn't care what we say in the U.S. Russia doesn't care what the anti-war movement says. The American government does care what we think. And that's why it's waging this massive propaganda campaign to paper over what the U.S. government has been supporting and how the U.S. government, through NATO and through the Pentagon, has incited this conflict and brought 1,000 or so U.S. military trainers to Russia's doorstep to work hand in glove with the Ukrainian military and literal neo-Nazi paramilitaries. Uh, The conflict has been raging since 2014, and we need to understand what it's about. There are two breakaway republics in the Donbass region, Lugansk and Donetsk, that are majority Russian-speaking that did not want to be part of this new pro-NATO Kiev regime that wanted to remove Russian as an official language, that attacked the Russian Orthodox Church, which was their faith community, and which had massacred large numbers of Russian speakers, including in a pogrom or um, just a slaughter in Odessa in 2014, when a group of uh, ethnic Russians started an Occupy-style protest in front of the 
national trade union in Odessa, and they were set upon by fascist thugs weaponized by the Ukrainian intelligence service, the SBU, driven into the trade union, which was then set on fire. And as they jumped out of windows, they either died or were beaten with clubs on camera by these thugs. Incidents like that uh, flowed freely into the fighting in the East, where a lot of these ultra-nationalist militants and thugs turned into paramilitary units. And then people in the Donbass on the pro-Russian side organized their own militias. And that fighting has been going on since 2014, leaving 13, 14,000 dead. According to the UN, most of the dead are on the pro-Russian side. And that's really the backdrop for this war. So we have to understand we're getting the narrative of the Ukrainian side anytime you turn on cable news. If you want to get a Uber, then it asks you to stand with Ukraine or donate to Ukraine. But we have to understand both sides of the issue and make up our minds. And as Americans right now, we have to know that Vladimir Zelensky, who ran on a peace platform and took a different line than all of the previous presidents, like Petro Poroshenko, who is a nationalist, hardliner, uh, very uh, pro-war, has become the war president and provides, with his acting background, the perfect public relations vehicle for escalating conflict and turning Ukraine into a new Syria, but on a much greater scale that will flood Europe with migrants and create a catastrophe that we may not have seen since World War I across Europe. He is calling for a no-fly zone. He is demanding that NATO wage conventional war with a nuclear power in Russia. And that's something that even the Biden administration says is going a little too far. So that's who Zelensky is. And as we illustrated in our piece, Alex Rubenstein and myself, he has gone from pushing for some kind of negotiation according to the uh, Minsk agreement, which Ukraine consistently, constantly violated, to working with these neo-Nazi units and at least negotiating with them and collaborating with them and being weakened consistently by them and the United States on the other side to the point where this the, the, the war was kind of becoming inevitable. I can go through specific incidents of sure, him. Sure, go ahead. You know, well, I mean, in December 1st, 2021, Vladimir Zelensky, in an official ceremony in the Ukrainian Rada, the Ukrainian parliament, honored a leader of the neo-fascist battalion right sector, whose nickname is Da Vinci, who has boasted that he uh, keeps, a, or maybe he, it was sort of a joke, but he said this to the New York Times, that he has a pet wolf and he feeds it with the bones of Russian-speaking children. Right sector bears the red and black flag of the uh, UPA, the Ukrainian Partisan Army, that collaborated with Nazi Germany and participated in the pogroms against the ethnic Polish community and participated in the Lviv pogrom, which was one of the worst pogroms against Ukraine's Jewish community during the Holocaust of bullets. And Zelensky has held meetings with leaders of C-14, as well as right sector and the Azov Battalion to discuss what will happen in the East. Will they pull back according to various uh, components of the Minsk agreement? And each and every time he backed down to them. He backed down every time. So it doesn't matter if he's Jewish or not. The question is whether he was the man of peace that he campaigned on, because when he ran for president, 
2019, he was campaigning with the support of the Russian speaking population. Mm. I mean, I spoke to several of them. I spoke to a lawmaker in Crimea at the time, actually, who told me that the only hope was Zelensky. In other words, this is a pro-Russian. At yeah. the time, the, the guy who was in power was the legacy of the coup. But there had been another election. And even though the people of the Donbass had been excluded, this guy was seen as a guy who could bridge the gap between the major factions there. And that was how he got elected. Exactly. And everyone wanted peace. Russian, ethnic Russians wanted peace. The Russian population wanted peace. The people of Crimea wanted peace who'd been annexed, who were pro-Russia. The Ukrainian majority wanted peace. That's what Zelensky was supposed to do. And he proved to be completely hollow and just every bit the actor uh, and not... A, the, there, there was real. There was really no force he could lean on yeah. when it turned out that he was just a puppet for the United States, and that the military muscle that he had to bring to bear were ultranationalists. So here he is, running around uh, begging NATO to wage direct warfare on a nuclear army mm-hmm. uh, and thrust the world into World War Three. He's just uh, completely lost at sea. And you could see the steady progression ever since he entered office. Now, who is his funder? Who was Vladimir Zelensky's main patron? He's one of the most corrupt people on the planet. And we should remember that Zelensky campaigned on an anti-corruption ticket as well. Ukraine is the ninth most corrupt country on the planet. And his patron was Igor Kolomoisky, who is a billionaire who had even picked the pocket of other Ukrainian oligarchs. And Kolomoisky himself happens to be Jewish, yet he was the top funder of the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion because he just wanted to use it as muscle. I mean, he he has used extremist militias like the IDAR Battalion that he funded to uh, take out financial rivals, to raid their offices and attack them. That's the kind of environment Zelensky was dealing with. And it was, and, and if you look at the Pandora Papers, Kolomoisky funneled something like $30 million into sh- offshore shell accounts controlled by Zelensky's associates to pay for video production. So he was under the control of one of the most corrupt people on earth who was simultaneously funding the Azov Battalion. The Azov Battalion, which has carried out heinous attacks on migrants, attacked LGBTQ parades in Kiev, assaulted activists, taken over city halls through its National Corps Vigilante Parade, and openly states that it favors a white reconquista of Europe as part of its ideology, and freely parades through Kiev in massive parades upholding banners uh, showing the faces of Nazi war criminals like Stepan Bandera and Roman Shukevich. And if you watched MSNBC today, you would have seen a uh, Ukrainian commentator saying that they're naming the Molotov cocktails that they're making Bandera smoothies. So they're, you know, mm-hmm. the support for these uh, Nazi collaborators like Bandera is out in the open, but the U.S. media is looking the other way. Yeah, man. All right. It's uh, anti-war radio. I'm Scott Horton. I'm talking with Max Blumenthal. And now hang on one second for me, Max. We got to do some fundraising here for KPFK so we can keep doing anti-war radio here. And here is how you can pledge to help and donate and support KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Just go to kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. Anybody who donates $75 or more will get a copy of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. 
So call 818-985-5735 to pledge. Let them know you're calling to support because of this show. It's Anti-War Radio on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A. Again, 818-985-5735. All right, now back to business here with Max Blumenthal from the Gray Zone. The reason you support KPFK is for material like this. Now, I got to tell you, Max, I got a speculation here for you. The New York Times says that the Biden administration had a plan B that even though they really wanted to dissuade Vladimir Putin from making the mistake of invading Ukraine, if he would be so foolish as to do so, that then they would give him another Afghanistan like the 1980s. And as you mentioned before, uh, briefly in another context earlier in the interview, turning it into something like Syria. And there's even a few quotes of them saying, we don't know how to beat an insurgency, but we sure know how to back one like we did in Afghanistan and we did in Syria. I think that maybe they really wanted this to happen. And that's really more like plan A. And now that I look back at all the different leaks where these people are bragging about how we're going to give them an Afghanistan, we're going to give them a Syria. There's so many, it's clear that they've been really talking about this for months. And then you look at essentially, everybody can fight me about it later, the reasonable demands of Vladimir Putin that Biden just absolutely would not give into signing on for Ukrainian neutrality and recognition of Crimea and this kind of thing, verification for the lack of missiles being deployed there, et cetera. And um, then the final straw that's really got me uh, on this, Max, is Zelensky mused, this is not a direct quote, but what he was saying was, eh, maybe we'll get some nukes back in February at the Munich Security Conference. And Putin yep, should, yep. should be famously, Putin invoked that as part of his causes belly for invasion in his declaration of war. And in fact, he even quoted George Bush and said, weapons of mass destruction, quoted Bill Clinton about Kosovo, said genocide in Donbass. These were his reasons. And it was funny there because he was being clever and invoking the Bush quote and all that. But then that got me thinking that since obviously no one's going to hand Zelensky a nuke and he's not going to be able to make one before the Russians invade. So why even say that? And now I think, Max, that they were jerking Putin's chain and Mr. Genius throat slitting KGB chess player boy fell for it. And that the CIA, what they really wanted was to provoke a violent response. They want to try to replicate the Afghan war, Max Blumenthal, the Syrian war in Ukraine this time. What do you think? They're openly saying it. They're openly saying that. You know, it's become a cliche that the U.S. wants to fight this war down to the last Ukrainian. And it's a cliche because cliches tend to be true. That's why they're cliches. The U.S. was openly leaking. The CIA leaked to Yahoo News that it was training hardcore Ukrainian paramilitaries at bases, secret bases inside the U.S. to prepare for an insurgency last year, last winter. So they're already preparing before an invasion. The escalations were increasing around Donbass. I mean, two days before Russia's incursion or operation in Ukraine, I interviewed a foreign fighter, Russell Bentley, inside Donbass, five miles from the front. And he said, Russia is going to come in and with massive force and go all the way to Kiev. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah, the, the Ukrainian military has been attacking us 
all night with grad rockets. They've escalated in a way we haven't had been rocketed in years. Uh, and Russia is not going to tolerate this. So the provocations had been going on for months. And as you mentioned at the Munich Security Conference, Zelensky said that he wanted to shred the uh, Budapest Memorandum, which was a 1994 agreement that denuclearized Ukraine in exchange for uh, civilian nuclear facilities supported by the West. Uh, so he said, "What was it? What good was that? Let's let's have." I mean, he openly called for the um, for nuclearizing Ukraine, and so from the American point of view, imagine if Mexico was given nuclear weapons by Russia and China right on America's the U.S.'s doorstep, while Russia and China were preparing for an insurgency on the U.S.-Mexico border. I mean, that's what's happening right now at Russia's doorstep, and. You know, we've seen CIA former agents just fantasize about this in the Washington Monthly. There's a guy, uh, I forget his name, who helped preside over the Afghan jihad, Afghan insurgency, arming the Mujahideen, fantasizing about how this could be done in Ukraine. Today at the House Intelligence Committee, a Democrat from Illinois, again, I'm forgetting his name, asked Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines about plans for an insurgency. And she said she would discuss that in a closed hearing. So they're, they're definitely preparing for that. When you see them calling for Stinger missiles, for more Javelin anti-tank missiles, they're not preparing to stymie a, uh, the Russian assault. What they're preparing for is to escalate and extend right. Russia's presence at the cost of untold lives and a massive migration crisis that will right. just crash on the shores of the EU in a way that we didn't even see during the other migration crisis that the West fueled with its insurgency in Syria. Man, just unbelievable. I mean, think about this. Like if you're just John Q. Public in his living room right now, aren't you thinking that, well, shouldn't Antony Blinken, our secretary of state, be in Geneva right now trying to negotiate with the Russians for a ceasefire kind of a thing? He's not. And they told, no, I, I think the post that, no, we're not talking to them. The generals aren't talking to each other. And our foreign minister is not talking to their foreign minister, Max Blumenthal. They want this war. They want to prolong this war. Well, I was just on Capitol Hill just a few hours ago asking members of Congress what they thought of the ban on Russian oil, which is going to send inflation and gas prices and food prices skyrocketing. You know, I saw a Russian official actually warn that gas could go up to oil could go up to three hundred dollars a barrel. It's already exploding through the roof, like one hundred twenty. So I, the American working class is going to be harmed by this. And I, I saw Ro, Representative Rokana from California, who ran on a peace platform for the Progressive Caucus, asked him, you know, is is this the price Americans have to pay for a conflict that is not theirs? And he said, yes, we have to pay the cost of freedom. This is about freedom. He sounded like a Bush era neocon talking about this war. And this is a guy who was branded as anti-war as a successor to Bernie Sanders. The only person I could find on Capitol Hill who was critical of this whole program to escalate the conflict and, and face down Putin at any cost was the libertarian from Kentucky, Thomas Massey, who happened to be one of three out of 438 members of Congress. He was pretty much one of only three to vote against the congressional resolution supporting Ukraine, which also called for military escalation against Belarus, which is not even involved in the conflict. I mean, it was a crazy resolution. It called for military escalation 
and he was only one of three members of Congress. Zero Democrats, zero members of the squad voted against it. Amazing. But, you know, uh, credit to Ilhan Omar, who has actually at least questioned the logic of sending, flooding Ukraine with weapons. Uh, mark my words, I mean, any, any Mark Scott's words, many, many more people will die than was necessary because of this escalation. And as Americans, Russia doesn't care what we think. We as average Americans, we couldn't stop a Russian invasion, but we can pressure our own government to stop this. And that means defying the propaganda and defying Zelensky, who is calling for World War III with a no-fly zone. Finally, since you brought up the Afghan Mujahideen, the Afghan And very, very quickly war. now, we're very short on time. Go ahead. Yeah, very quickly. Who are the Mujahideen? Who are the freedom fighters here? That's who we've been talking about the whole time. Right. Who will be the the, the, the heart, most hardcore fighters? It's the Azov Battalion. It's the C-14 guys. It's the right sector guys. And so Chechen Jihadists with them too. And yeah, I mean, we've seen Syrians on the pro-Ukraine side for several years and from Chechnya and Dagestan who have been affiliated with ISIS. So that's who the U.S. is going to arm. And just it's pretty much a no-brainer that that's not good for humanity. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is the great Max Blumenthal, producer of, again, the great documentary Killing Gaza and proprietor of this very important journalistic website, thegrayzone.com. The latest is how Ukraine's Jewish President Zelensky made peace with neo-Nazi paramilitaries on the front lines of war with Russia. And thank you again for your time, Max. Thanks a lot, Scott. All right, you guys, and that is Anti-War Radio for this morning. Donate to KPFK. It's 818-985-5735, or kpfk.org. And I'm at scotthorton.org and on Twitter, at Scott Horton Show. And I'm here every Sunday morning from 8.30 to 9 on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A. See you next week.